0: Hello and welcome to episode number 306 of the Plain Talking UK podcast, Carlos here and in today's show we learn that a technical failure triggered more than 100 cancellations at Heathrow. Everyone's favourite low-cost airline is in trouble with the EU for having an unfair advantage in Spain, and a New York flight makes an emergency landing at London Heathrow, resulting in a passenger being detained. In the military news this week, a new unmanned aircraft capable of staying airborne for up to one year makes its maiden flight. Also, if you live in Hawaii, your life just got a little better because if you have the chance to fly in a P-51 Mustang and in everyone's favorite series, Captain John Hutchinson talks to Nick about Concorde's radiation levels and dispels a few of those infamous rumors about Q-Jumping. So, without further ado, welcome Matt, joining me in the studio this week as always, pushing all the correct buttons in the touchscreen world. It's of course...
1: Matt Smith. Uh, well, hello everyone. How are we all? Have you... it's, uh, it's it's been a funny hour week for you, hasn't it, mate? Really? Yes, We'll, we'll be honest, but we won't talk about we that. We won't this talk week, about though. that. Okay, yes, no, that's fair enough. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been a quiet week for me. <laughs> so, joining us uh, <laughs> back this week
0: it is the absolute legend, that is Neville Bounds. Oh, oh he's busy. Oh, he's, he's busy. busy. Sorry, we're, we're disturbing him Along. at a crucial moment. He's... Yeah, the show could fall oh, off. Can you bring air up? Can you bring up that fader, yeah. Nev? <laughs> And he's on mute. Okay. Here I am. There he is. There he is. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> From
2: my travels around, well, the United States and Europe, actually. Um, trying to dodge those thunderstorms and gales and gusty winds. few flight delays here and there. But uh, generally speaking, all right. And, uh, yeah, uh, great to be back on the show and see my chums, Carlos and Matt as well.
0: Nev, the question on everyone's lips across the globe is... Have you reached that gold status yet oh with BA? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but I will be very soon. Uh, I'm off to Bilbao in Spain with Mrs. Nev in a few weeks' Ooh. time. And that will just tip me over the edge. Uh, oh, I, don't, I don't mean by your on holiday with Mrs. Nev. I mean uh, the old gold status. So oh, uh, I'll uh, try that out, see what the, uh, the first class lounge is like. Oh, so, yes, yeah, so that's a, a, noise, treat. Oh, so, a uh, yeah, that. that should be good. Yeah but it just shows you that even with BA's reasonably generous schemes how much flying you've got to do yeah, I, yeah, to get some imagine. of these status things and, and you also have to you know, my company only pays for uh, economy tickets up until uh, 8 hours flying time or premium economy after that so if you want anything more than that you're paying for it yourself which is absolutely fine but uh, yeah it takes a, a lot out of the bank accounts and out yeah. of the um, status thing to Neb, isn't
0: there a time limit on your BA thing with the points you uh, that you acquire have you got yeah so I think there's an
2: ex- expiry thing uh, but of course the, with the, um, the status thing the gold the silver and gold status of course just because you get gold status one year you 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 have like a points reset and in my case it's on april the 8th I think it is and it all goes back to zero and you've got to start again so uh, oh, yeah oh. It, it's it's a lot um and um i don't know whether i'll make that next year but i'll um i'm gonna give it a good go that's for sure right so, okay well, it's, not, it's nice to have a goal yeah i think you will <laughs> yes. i
0: think ne- never be like Platinum status soon. Right. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Platinum.
1: Yeah, platinum. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, listen. We have slightly bad news because we were we all have very got bad excited. News. Very excited because we thought that we were going to have a full complement of hosts this evening. We thought we were going to have Armando with us, and then at the very last minute, his company stuck in a a, a shift in his roster. And so uh, he's currently uh, flying from, I think it's Pittsburgh to Charlotte, something like that. that, Yeah, yeah. anyway, so uh, yes, Armando sadly is currently in the air, but fret not, he has very kindly recorded uh, his segment. So we will hear from uh, him, uh, tonight, uh, uh t- reading out his story. So that is something at least.
0: But to drown Matt's sorrows um, is, uh, well, I had to get him something to cheer him up. So I've got him some
1: meringue <laughs> nests. Uh, hey, here, I'm doing quite well. We're halfway um, through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, he's <laughs> eaten a few off, so he's quite I, happy I, Absolutely, yes, yes. I'm currently on a sugar high. Good luck, everyone.
0: So <laughs> welcome everyone who has joined us this evening on the 21st of February. There's loads of people in the YouTube chat room. We've got uh, Tanya W's joining us there. David Kerr, hello to you, David. Uh, Chris Griggs, Richard Adams, Miler's in the chat room as well. Uh, scrolling down the list here. Masha, hello to you, Masha. Uh, Richard Adams, Tony S, hello to you, Tony. Uh, thank you, Tony, for your very kind donation through PayPal as well, Tony. That was very oh. kind of you. And Jenny as well. Yeah, uh, Thanks yes. for a donation. Thanks for that. Uh, Pilot Pip is in the chat as well Is, this he, is week. he all
1: right? He must be very bored if he's here. I oh, know.
0: <laughs> and our, our favourite local local guy, Paul Tricker, yeah. is also in the yes, chat room. Our on the one season. listener hello in Beckles. Yeah. <laughs> Beckles, yeah. And Jacob Darlington-Brown, Ooh, hello from, to you. Now, he's, uh, up, he's
1: Australia, isn't he?
0: he? Yes, he is. Yeah. Um, actually, Jacob's asked, what's that weird thing behind you, Carlos? Well, this is uh, you may have is, seen this the in the summertime fan. that's yeah. our pt uk
1: studio <laughs> fan yeah
0: because it is quite warm in here it this is evening, yeah right. and
1: i have got the window uh, the radiator is on as well i'm afraid ah, right, yeah, be i well. know but i can't really tell if i turn it off it stays off forever uh I on know. on our heating system it's a long story uh long story <laughs> so we've got
0: loads of stuff to get through this week in the show as you say or as i said at the start of the show so uh Without further ado, then. Yes. Uh, are you ready, Nev? We're going to start the show as we do each week, then, with our rundown of the news from around the world and the UK. So, right there? I know. Okay. <laughs> it's the Mountain Dew. It's the Mountain Easy. Dew. Easy. Right. Uh, so if I'll you're. I'll <laughs> press this button, shall I? Let's see, anyway, let, let's get us out of the let's hole. Get, let's go. <laughs> So kicking off this week's first news story on the independent.co.uk and uh, it's been a good week for passengers travelling through Heathrow Airport, the uh, headline (laughs) on here.
1: I mean that's that's one school of thought. Travel (laughs) chaos,
0: travel chaos at London Heathrow Airport after a technical failure triggers more than 100 cancellations. Isn't that a normal thing on a day? Oh, not. So tens of thousands of passengers at Heathrow Airport have had their flights cancelled or heavily delayed uh, due to an IT failure involving check-in systems. Obviously, Matt wasn't around at the time to sort them out. <laughs> at least 10,000 more have had their flights to or from the busiest airport in Europe cancelled on Monday this week. The failure began early on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Heathrow announced at 10.26 that the problem in the evening that problem had been fixed it said that all affected uh, four passenger terminals both landside before security check and airside departure gate information is being handwritten on white Wilds. Uh, more than a hundred flights to and from the airport were cancelled during Sunday the vast majority of them on British Airways um, Nev is here so he did get home at uh, the biggest <laughs> airline at the airport <laughs> BA had intended to cancel around 20 flights uh, but because Nev put his foot down uh, no uh, uh, because the severe weather uh, uh, obviously because of the severe because we had storms at Storm Dennis we had storm here this Dennis week. yes yeah uh, many of these are as a result of what Heathrow calls technical issues which wow. are currently being resolved and uh, one traveler Tim Barton uh, boarded his flight at 5 past 4 in the afternoon. Departure to Dusseldorf from Terminal 5 two hours behind schedule he told the Independent. Oh that's outrageous. Chaos is an <laughs> understatement he said. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, and apparently he was running up and down the terminal at one point. He's obviously <laughs> um, feeling a bit... Uh, well, We in. just went
1: for a jog I think. Yeah.
0: And uh, <laughs> as were hundreds of people he said. Uh, first I was told my flight was at gate 18 at the far end of Terminal 5. Um, I think only Nev would know where that is because is a you know, terminal five person <laughs> then i was told it was a gate six a completely opposite end and eventually at gate a11 in
2: the middle blimey just as well, well it's not what, on the a12 what, cambridge here yeah i know okay probably not on the a14 say, uh, those numbers that he mentions yes they're not exactly you know marathon distances away from <laughs> each other you know it's a, a brisk walk with a coffee maybe but no more than that i mean talk about First world problems. I, I mean, know. Seriously. I know. I mean, uh, the,
1: the, the, I mean the, the only reason um, that I'm interested in this story, to be honest with you, is I've been literally. And Nev, you may be able to uh, come up with a few. We, we, we were sort of spitballing before the show, weren't we? But I, I'm intrigued to know what sort of technical fault would have the ability to affect all of the terminals and their data streams. So, I mean, it sort of rather suggests that the data source was the issue rather than the, you know, because presumably each terminal is, is you know, individually plumbed slash wired, I guess. But it, I, I just can't get my head round what... There is a funny part of this story, saying, actually. I it know. says
0: at the bottom here that apparently that uh, a BBC news channel were interviewing a passenger on a Berlin pa- a Berlin-bound flight... And apparently during the interview, obviously in the terminal building, a male voice can be heard off camera telling her, you're in a secure, controlled area, you cannot do this.
1: Oh, really? Oh, oh. Filming where they weren't allowed. Mm, tut, tut, tut. We wouldn't do anything like that. We so, so well. Nef-
2: and, and, and probably in vertical video as well. That's oh, oh, bro, oh no, yeah. come on, it's the BBC, dear boy. Come on, oh, there that's are right standards. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. quite, absolutely.
0: So, so Nev, what happened here? Was it a uh, Windows oh. update? Oh. Oh, or Nef, right. were right. Were they running an a, uh, <laughs> iOS uh, well,
2: thing. I think what's, uh, I don't know the answer obviously, but these uh, FIDs, as they're called, flight information displays, uh, that's what you see on all the screens around all the terminals. Um, there's presumably a central point of information for all of that that goes all over the airport. Now, it might be that a server fell over or they had a fiber connection problem somewhere. Whatever it was, I, I've no idea. But these things do happen from time to time. And, yeah, it causes some disruption because no one knows what gate they're supposed to go to. Um, and that presumably, if it messes up uh, on the air sort of side uh, end of things, uh, the uh, crews don't get information about what gate they're supposed to go to either. So, yeah, there's lots of things that can go wrong there. But um, as always, the people, well, hopefully people learn from... IT outages of this nature and they uh, put some more resilience in place for uh, for the next time. The
0: absolute Git in me would love to be in here where this whiteboard is from the terminal with a black whiteboard marker. Oh no. Just to
1: add a few numbers and stuff onto that board. Right. Okay. Would that be... Um, no. I mean, that's not the nicest thing you've ever said out loud. It would um, be <laughs> funny, though. <laughs> oh, would okay. that not be funny? Uh, Jacob Darlington-Brown is, is unable to... He's concerned he's not going to be able to sleep until you answer the question as to what that thing is, that grey thing that's rotating behind you. What, the fan? Yeah. Yeah, the PTK fan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems to be causing an alarming amount of distress so nice. <laughs> to many, many people. Uh, actually, uh, all jokes aside, there are some interesting comments here in the, in the chat room. They were, they were saying um, that... Um... Spit it out, Matt. Come on. No, Come on. I was reading the wrong bit, Sorry, my <laughs> brain went into meltdown mode. Um, S like, was saying, uh, can you claim compensation when it's the, the fault of the airport if you miss your flight?
0: I think you're covered after so many hours. I forget how many hours it is now. Is it two and a half, mm. or three, oh, was it three hours? Uh, there,
2: there's three there's hours. various things that happen, yeah. on So you know, you either get uh, food vouchers, or uh, if it goes on longer, then you get put on the uh, following flight if they can do it. If it goes on longer than that, then you're in a hotel usually, um, but uh, all told, come back the next day. But um, I'm sure there's. I mean, none of this is the airline's fault, of course. It's no. the fault of uh, the operator or the infrastructure. Uh, by the yeah. Of it. Absolutely. You get
0: one of those four pound food vouchers for a, a, a pack of sandwiches that cost six pounds. Yeah, yeah,
2: you, you can't uh, can't get much for four quid at Heathrow. That's no, for sure. no,
1: I can imagine. Yes.
0: Yeah. So moving on to the next story, and uh, this one for Matt is regarding um, obviously Ryanair, and they've been doing some naughty things in Spain.
1: Uh, well, I wouldn't go that far. Um, <laughs> that's perhaps a bit strong. Uh, so this is on the Olive Press. Uh, and the headline is EU widens investigation into Ryanair for potential unfair advantage in Spain marketing deals. So Ryanair is in has seen the probe into whether it received an unfair advantage from the Spanish government widened. Uh, EU competition regulators first launched an investigation back in 2013 into marketing schemes offered to airlines flying to and from now. Somebody tell me, how, is it Girona? Girona Costa Brava and uh, Reis uh, airports in Catalonia, mm. Cataluna? Sorry, uh, they were concerned that barriers like, that carriers like Ryanair may have an unfair advantage after receiving marketing deals from airport managers, but now the investigation has been widened to include marketing incentives from public bodies uh, through these additional marketing agreements uh, as well as through the other marketing agreements already under investigation. Ryanair and other airlines received payments in the form of marketing incentives since two thousand and four. The commissioner said. Uh, The body said it was concerned that the schemes may have constituted as state aid. Oh, dear, that's not good. If the probe reveals Ryanair broke state aid rules, it will have to pay back the amount it received.
0: Now, I think it would be a bit silly to think that, um, obviously, Ryanair operating into about a million different airports within Europe, Mm. that with all these different airports and stuff Mm. dotted around Europe they fly into, they they obviously have some kind of... um, uh, handshake agreement with yeah. these airports to say that if you fly in here mm. x amount of times a year, we'll give you, you know, yeah. a hot panini for free or something, right? Um, okay. Or you know, that, but they have these. Well, they are delicious. Mm, yeah, uh, but these, uh, okay. the airports do offer very good. I think they offer very good deals to Ryanair in regards to passenger throughput and stuff because it's not just. The airline itself that benefits—it's obviously the airport restaurants, the duty-free shop, all the different bits. I don't know. The does
1: airport. it? Does it? Does it? Is it so much of an issue if if that's being offered to multiple um, airliners? I mean, uh, you or know airlines. Or, or airlines. Sorry, I mean, is it? Is it? I mean, if it's that only been offer, of it offer, offered of to Ryanair, Air, then that a bit that's naughty. fair enough. But <laughs> if it's being offered to all carriers out of that particular airport to encourage said airlines to to market flying into and out of those airports um i mean surely that's just like the tourist board get going a bit nuts with their checkbook i mean is it really i don't know i don't know how do we feel about this nev what do you think
2: well of course we're not privy to all these negotiations that no. go on behind the scenes, are true, we? So true. uh a bit like how very well, sensible of you. <laughs> it's, it's a bit like perhaps, you know, Ferrari and the, the Formula One world, they, yes. they get a bit of a discount yeah. uh because they've been in it from from the start, you yeah. know. So I don't know what goes on here, but it, it's it's clearly uh, there's individual contracts in place and what have you. So uh, I'd, I'd, ra- I'd rather not comment because I don't actually know.
1: Oh, okay, well, I mean, I can... Which is unusual <laughs> well, for me. Like I can say, much. why should that stop you? I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess we'll have to wait and see on this story. But, I mean, I, I, I don't feel that it's that big a deal, personally. Mm. But there we are. It, it is what it is. Uh, obviously, sticking with branded airlines and their themes. Nev, your love of BA This story, is, is, I love this. Yeah, it's very much... Because this um, is not
0: allowed on, air- on aircraft. It hasn't been allowed for years. No, no, indeed. And right. this, pho- this, this phone has just flunked the
2: whole idea. Right, okay. Go on, Nev. Uh, yes, uh, more, more well, details to follow. Uh- <laughs> Firstly, there are so many ads on this page, I'm just afraid of clicking anywhere what? <laughs> and going on to some weird I, place are you suggesting
1: so, that the daily mail are not making any revenue out of their actual uh newspaper Honestly, anymore. there are
2: four five adverts on this page <laughs> and some pop-up thing going on as well so oh. we'll see what we do. anyway it's on everybody's aviation favorite site the dailymail.co.uk uh, it says that british airways flight was forced to make an emergency landing after a passenger's mobile phone overheated and started smoking. Holidaymakers in the business class section alerted cabin crew when they saw smoke coming from under one of the reclining seats. The BA 2167 flight from Gatwick to Tampa in Florida was diverted to Bermuda, and the Boeing 777 was met by fire crews on the runway. Note, that's a Boeing 777, and so they've shown us a picture of an A319. Thank you, Daily Mail. Uh, All the passengers were ordered off the plane, leaving their uh, luggage behind, and fire crews boarded the plane to remove the phone. Uh, Later, when the plane took off, a member of the crew jokingly announced the phone will never work again. A source on board Saturday's flight told MailOnline we were about two hours from landing. A passenger sat in business class, didn't know their phone had slipped down the side of his seat and they pressed the button to automatically recline the seat. The phone was crushed in the mechanism and began smoking. It was obviously quite terrifying because we didn't know if the phone was going to explode. But the captain was very calm, very assured and said that we were only 60 miles from Bermuda so we diverted there. It was all sorted out pretty quickly and we arrived in Tampa only three hours later than expected. Lithium-ion batteries that are used in almost all mobile phones and laptops have the potential to overheat and catch fire. Uh, the airline confirmed the captain followed airline protocol for such incidents and landed the plane as quickly as possible. The BA insider said that part of the reclining seat had to be removed so that the overheated phone could be made safe. A former BA captain told the mail online, any fire on board during flight is the most dangerous event that can happen. Uh, the priority is to get the plane on the ground as soon as possible. And this is what the captain did. Uh, a spokesman confirmed the incident but added safety is at the heart of everything that we do. And we are very sorry for the delay to our customers' travel plans. We did everything we could to minimize the delay after our flight diverted to Bermuda as a precaution after a mobile phone got stuck in a seat and overheated. Uh, our customers were looked after and offered refreshments. The phone incident is the latest mid air scare involving a British Airways flight. The Mail Online told last month how a captain had to don an ox- oxygen mask moments from landing when his co pilot was overcome by fumes in the cockpit. Um, and uh, the captain radioed the control tower when his co-pilot was unable to continue the flight uh, from uh, Athens to request an immediate landing at Heathrow. Uh, BA said the incident was due to a fume event, with aviation insiders saying toxic fumes from the engine had seeped into the cockpit, which can, can't it? So, um, but, um, yeah, I think these... um, uh, It's almost happened to me, actually. It's very easy to to drop your mobile phone. It's all sorts of... Crevices and mm. um, uh, hinges in, in the passenger seats, isn't it? And once it's there, it's almost impossible to, to remove to it. it. So yeah. uh, there's actually a part of the safety announcement now uh, on BA flights, at least, is mm. that if you do lose your mobile phone, please don't attempt to to move it. Uh, wait for one of the crew to to come and help.
1: To come and retrieve it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, in lots, in many ways, obviously, this is a complete non-story as always, isn't it? When it comes to to stuff like this i mean well they've is, certainly made a meal
2: of it uh, yeah. with <laughs> with the amount of uh advertising they've got on this yeah page. quite <laughs> absolutely yeah. They've, they've gone for full
1: you know and it, it is it is that clickbait thing isn't it that's that's the the things that the, that's the thing that really frustrates me with the, mm. a lot of these stories but um, perhaps we'll do a, a thing about that at some point but um, yes. okay we're gonna move on to the next story now this one uh is being is being shared with us by armando uh but first of all we have an excuse as to why he's not with us this week
3: hey guys apologies for not being on the show live today i was really looking forward to it uh, i was supposed to sit reserved today but overnight they put me on a trip so i will be flying exactly at the time that we're recording the show um but this first story either way is from one mile at a time and it's uh, regarding a video that's gone viral in the last week or so uh with an etihad a380 landing at london's heathrow airport during the last storm Dennis which had some pretty significant crosswinds Um, so there have been a lot of crosswind landing videos that have emerged as a result of these uh, strong winds in the UK but this particular one seemed to go viral Uh, interestingly enough the video doesn't show too much of a struggle for the pilots to get to the touchdown point but what makes the video so shocking to people is the angle at which the airplane touches down and then the extent to which it has to make adjustments after landing. Hopefully, Matt gets a chance to play out the video, Um, but almost across the board, you'll see praise for these pilots uh, for their landing. The company itself, Etihad, seems to disagree. So from the contents of what is apparently a leaked memo sent out by Etihad's pilot training department to its pilots uh, following the video going viral, the memo was sent out by the, uh, the manager of pilot training for the Boeing fleet, which is a little odd considering it was an Airbus, Um, But the memo references, quote, a video this week of one of our A380s landing in a strong crosswind in London, end quote. And it kind of states the following regards to it, quote, the official view from the training department is a simple one. This is not what we want to see. There is a time to give an approach away in the interest of safety. If you see such a thing in this simulator, that would be a grade one for both pilots. Please gentlemen. Let's teach our pilots to operate safely, even if that means changing the mission, end quote. Um, so obviously, it's a little weird that the training department would officially refer to all pilots as gentlemen. But moving along, uh, Etihad doesn't seem to be alone in criticizing this landing. Uh, pilots uh, on several Internet forums, popular Internet forums, uh, are also uh, kind of criticizing and, and uh but hey, you never know what you're getting in those in those groups.
0: It has to be said that there's there's obviously been lots of videos and stuff on um, on YouTube of crosswind landings mm. at various airports. Yeah, I'm just watching one now actually on uh, on YouTube, and I mean it was when you look at the actual video itself, the one that uh, Matt put out during the that uh, piece that Armando read. It does look really bad, but then you have to remember the camera's offset to the runway so that it's not yeah, looking so directly look down more, the runway. Yeah.
1: And uh, Nev, you said sort of something quite interesting actually in, in, uh, when you've been watching that, that, that feed, because you said there were some other shots that you saw um, looking from the back of the plane when it came down.
2: Yeah, the uh the A three eighty's got a a tail mounted uh camera right at the top of where the top of the rudder is, I think. Uh and uh, if you look at um again it's on YouTube somewhere, but if you look at the uh angle from that point of view, it doesn't look anything very severe at all. Now obviously the idea with crosswind landings that you is for the most part is that you have to decrab the aircraft before it lands so that you don't put a lot of um Uh, unnecessary strain on the main landing gear but at the end of the day you know um, if you're a pilot or a co-pilot for an A380 you will have had many many years of experience so um, I think the crew knew what they were doing Um, and As I say, under the circumstances with the weather as it was, Mm. um, you know, if they had gone around a couple of times, I mentioned this on one of the forums, uh, that, you know, they could end up at Frankfurt or or somewhere else. Now, um, at the end of the day, it's all about safety. But, you know, we we weren't in the cockpit and we're not qualified and they are. So, um, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't think it was, you know out of the ordinary, but then, you know, I'm, I'm not qualified to... Uh, no,
1: uh, no, this is true. Yeah.
0: Around, so. It's it's. I mean, there, I mean, there are some, uh, if you go on, on to uh, onto YouTube and you, you search um, obviously the Storm Dennis, the wind sort of stuff, if you look on there, there are some pretty hairy uh, videos of various aircraft landing at Heathrow, Manchester, all, all across the UK, and there's some that actually look worse than uh, that Etihad one. Um, I mean, let's be honest, you know, these guys go through some incredible training. I know um, offhand for a couple of uh, people I know who, um, who work within Etihad that their pilots are really, really well trained, you know, as all pilots are, but, you know, they have got uh, very high standards with their pilot training at Etihad. But, uh, Matt, you've obviously been doing a little bit of searching online. Yeah, and, that, have I got the right one
1: yeah. there? Yeah, okay. So, uh, it is, as I say, this is the thing. I mean, and, and I, I, I was watching that video thinking that is absolutely horrendous. Uh, I couldn't think of anything worse. Um, look, I'm just trying to get to the bit where they've done it. But actually, as it comes into land, uh, I need to move in a bit further, or is that about Right. Uh, that's that's about right yeah yeah okay so well I'll pop it up then just so that for those of you watching in YouTube world world. this Uh, is uh, is, uh, is, the the video that Nev was on about yeah it doesn't I mean when you see what obviously we played a moment ago it doesn't look anywhere near as horrendous um as it's coming down i guess the i mean it is at a slightly jaunty angle shall we say crabbing effect crab crabbing, crabbing effect yes. yeah absolutely but, uh, i mean actually when you look at that it's nowhere near as horrendous. because i was thinking from a passenger point of view that must have felt horrendous inside there but actually it doesn't look anywhere near that bad um, when you look at it from the, from the perspective of the aircraft, it, there is a, an issue of, of, of perspective here. I think, isn't there? Actually, I think my, that...
2: I, my main issue with the whole thing is is a vertical, vertical video, video. of course. Video, yeah. Yeah. my apologies.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry, Ned, but it's the best I could do in such short. Sh- can can such I short point ratings. out as well?
2: Can
0: I point out as well that whoever <laughs> uh, is SDTV who filmed the, oh, the original yeah. picture on? That's... Can I just point out that video was filmed in 360p.
1: Oh, oh, was it? Oh
2: dear! I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I
0: think a Nokia 3210. R- right, recording okay, that, higher than that. Yeah, well,
2: well that, that sounds like a long play VHS to me. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> indeed.
1: Yeah. Although, although a refreshing change from Big Jet TV, TV. It's nice that somebody else got a bit of uh, yes, yes, uh, very much so. got a bit of uh, airtime, shall we say. Yeah. So uh, yeah, well done. Everyone there. So it's you next, I think. Cox. I know.
0: Mylondon.news for next uh, story. Yeah. And uh, headline, Heathrow Diversion. New York flight makes emergency landing and passenger detained. What is it with all these emergency things going I know. on this week? I know. So a plane travelling from Rome to New York declared a general emergency and diverted to land at Heathrow Airport. Alitalia Airlines flight AZ-698 was diverted to the West London Airport after declaring an emergency over France. The flight which left Rome at 10.37 a.m on Sunday was due to land in New York at 2.25 p.m. but at around 11.30 a.m. the flight declared a general emergency and began to descend over the English Channel. Met police officers got onto the aircraft as it landed and detained one of the passengers. A spokesperson said police were called to terminal four at Heathrow Airport and a report of an unruly passenger on a flight from Rome to the U.S. The man was taken off the plane when it landed and detained under Section 136 of the Mental Health Act. And um, well, it's safe to say that uh, something obviously upset the crew on here. He was obviously well, yes. doing something naughty, yes, I, I, uh, to get I, them I, to uh, to land.
1: I, again, at it's Heathrow. a bit vague. The only reason for sort of throwing this story in this week really is because obviously last week we were, we were talking about somebody who'd actually been detained mm. uh, as a result of their actions on the jet 2 flight um and it was just sort of like oh hello what's kicking off here i mean it's you know p- airlines don't divert um he must have without, been without kicking off fairly yeah, heavily yeah, to yeah. be uh,
0: to, yeah for that to divert and go uh, and land fairly soon actually when you yeah. think about it it's only just took off from rome and uh, landing at heathrow so it would have been still quite heavy uh, yeah, although absolutely. it would have been probably possibly uh so did, did, a320 a3 so, uh, again
1: this this is my naivety here uh, never you might be able to answer this one for me is it is it um do they still have to dump fuel if so if, if you know bearing in mind they hadn't been in the not air all long aircraft can point. dump fuel
2: yeah i mean is that is, no that, that's right not not all aircraft are equipped with that that a some facility, okay. um, and also the other thing is that a lot of aircraft are certified uh, to land, land at with that word. their maximum takeoff weight as well. Um, ah. So that it will require an inspection, and yeah. you know uh, all the rest of it, and the plane probably won't be able to operate again that that day until that's been done. But. Uh, mm. Yeah, it's a question of um, you know how bad the emergency is, but at the end of the day, you know that they've they've got to take it seriously, mm. um, so they want to get it on the deck as, as soon as they can. But yeah, uh, diversions are expensive. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. for sure. So I mean, um, he
1: as, as Carlos was saying, he must have been properly kicking off for them to yeah. to yeah, even vaguely to consider land. And let's be honest, Heathrow is probably one of the more expensive ones to end up having to land at. You're not going to make that decision yeah. um, mm. lightly, are you? No. Uh, no. No. it's just yeah. one
0: thing you shouldn't do on these days uh, in these particular current situations yeah. and within the world is to, to do anything silly on an aircraft no absolutely but there are but still none of our listeners would do that no no because our listeners are all fantastic
1: of course they are mm. absolutely we're, we're gonna go for a slightly unusual this story, story here.
0: Matt uh, I love this I know uh,
1: so uh, <laughs> because uh, I played on one of these for the first oh, time indeed. last week oh, nice. yeah so this this is uh, oh. uh, not a, a usual source for our news news stories uh, this is on the <laughs> Nintendo website um, nintendo.com and the headline is, what's new? Nintendo Switch lounges offers travelers gateways uh, traveler gateways to adventure at US airports. So busy travelers embarking on journeys this year will have the opportunity to encounter fun surprises waiting for them Ooh. at the airport. Well, let's hope they're not, they're all good surprises. Uh, beginning on the 13th of February at select major airports across the US, Nintendo will be providing Nintendo Switch on the go pop-up airport lounges featuring Nintendo products and opportunities for hands-on time with the Nintendo Switch and Nintendo Switch Lite with comfortable seating, charging ports and Nintendo Switch game demos Playable in both handheld TV mode, uh, sorry, in handheld mode and TV mode. These lounges demonstrate the convenience and joy that the Nintendo Switch family of systems can add to everyone's on-the-go adventures. Some of the games will be featured at the demo areas include popular titles such as The Legend of Zelda, uh, Breath of the Wild, uh, Mario Kart. You've got to have Mario Kart in there, really. It is the law. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey, Super Mario Party, and Tetris. Ah, oh, I remember Tetris. I remember playing Tetris on my <laughs> on my Game Boy. In fact, actually, no, I tell a lie. It wasn't my Game Boy. I wasn't allowed one. Uh, my sister had a Game Boy, and I used to steal it from her and play Tetris on that. You know, but I mean, this is quite a cool thing, isn't it? I mean, it's especially like... for if you've got young
0: kids with you. Yeah. As families do travel with younger children and stuff, and yeah. obviously, I know because um, you know certain members of our family, uh, their youngsters, so sort of four or five year olds and six yeah. year olds, have got. Um, these for Christmas or birthdays and yeah. Nintendo Switch, and when you're at an airport, you know it is the case that you normally, if you're me, you get there six years before you need to. Um, but it's always good to have something to do when you're at an airport, and if you've got the ability to kind of sling the children into an area yeah. where they can play on toys and go and like this Nintendo Switch, um, it, it's a it's a fantastic idea. i a know, winning.
1: I, I mean, I love the, I love the layout. I don't. I, I I assume this is just a knock-up, is it? Mm, I don't suppose yeah. it's actually in. In, you know, I, I guess this is not actually it, but it looks like a lot of fun, doesn't
0: it? But it's amazing as well how, um, it's a bit off topic, but how popular the old games are becoming again. Yeah, very much so. Um,
1: yeah. yeah. I, I actually downloaded Tetris for my phone. I still play it now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you
0: wait till you get around mine then. Oh, right. Okay. Lovely. Because you have got. To the whole 400 retro games in your in your room Ooh, to play, I, right? Mm-hmm. Including Super it. Mario lovely. Land.
1: Yeah. Well, any chance you could go a bit away a bit sooner? Yeah. I mean, no? <laughs> I'll bring it round. You can uh, Oh, lovely. Okay. Nev, uh, Nev, you're obviously not much
0: of a gamer, are you, Nev? You're not much of a sort of a. a, a con- well, back come a in the PS day, player. I was.
2: Um, oh. But uh, yeah, uh, when Nintendo first came out and that sort of stuff, I. I think everybody bought one didn't they uh, or and, or at least a second hand one, uh, but uh, the trouble is it was so addictive and you you 'd end up going to sleep and the the whole thing was just sort of burnt in across your eyes wasn 't it and because uh, you 've been playing it so much but I, I like some of those retro games, I must say do you think uh, this is something you 'd oh, appreciate
0: oh. nev given the yeah. chance to have one of these in the lounge while you 're waiting for your flight to uh, to wherever uh, mm.
2: Not for me, but I can see friends of mine that that would definitely appeal to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Well, and um, yes, quite. About. quite.
2: Uh, <laughs> so, moving on to the
0: next story, Nev, uh, this one uh, is for you. I, and uh, another
2: one of those pesky slides. Oh, yes. Uh, it's on the aviation24.be website. And uh, it says that uh, on 15th February, Virgin Atlantic, Boeing. 747-400, uh, Gulf Victor Alpha Sierra Tango was about to be catered for v- uh, flight VS-75 from Manchester to Orlando. As one of the aircraft doors wasn't properly disarmed or possibly a malfunction of the door slide system, uh, the emergency slide was activated the aircraft finally departed to Orlando with a delay of six hours and 16 minutes and we've got a little picture of it uh, there as well Um, and of course obviously these are basically manual or automatic aren't they so when the uh, before the aircraft pushes back uh, you hear the um, uh, crew say uh, doors to automatic so that they will deploy uh, if there's an emergency and and the doors are opened on the runway or uh, in manual mode when they just as they turn into the gate usually uh, they're set to manual so something wasn't quite right here that's for sure Um, and uh, uh, one of our um, uh, airline chums um, said that uh, airlines make a very big deal out of this internally. At the airlines that I've worked for, they take huge amounts of measures to try and make sure this doesn't happen due to human error. Uh, Fatigue can play a huge part in this, and especially when you think your day is done after you land and taxi, that's the time that these mistakes can happen. Of course, technical errors do happen sometimes, and some aircraft have the ability to display information that a slide is armed or not um, armed from the crew, and maybe on the flight deck as well. Uh, Screens inside the aircraft, uh, but this isn't a whole lot of help for the ground crew. Uh, also, uh, this person is not entirely sure whether the 7-4 has this capability. But the 380 uh, doors disarm automatically when it senses the door is being opened from the outside. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, but, for example, the 737 does not have this capability, which is why you see the red flag across the window of the doors during flight. It signals to anyone outside that the door is armed and should not be opened.
1: So, I mean, I guess we've got, to, we've got to play the waiting game on this one, haven't we, really, to discover whether it
2: was a malfunction or whether it was because somebody opened the door, perhaps, w- yeah, without Yeah, it'll designing. be on the uh, AAIB um, yeah. website yeah. in a few months' time, I would imagine we yeah. lived on the investigation. I'd
0: love that video with this story. Yeah. Well, me and Matt just sat there watching it. The video on the story, Matt played it out, for those of you watching on YouTube saw it, and the, the, I love the way the guy just like, casually gets out of the cab of the gate gourmet truck, looks up and sort of, oh... Oh, dear. Slides <laughs> come out. Rolls his eyes on yeah. Oh, <laughs> slides come out. Oh. And then he reverses off, and the slide kind of explodes over the top yeah, of the Yeah, uh, absolutely. Bit of a mess. Bit of a mess, yeah. Um, obviously, these slides, are, uh, as uh, Nev will say, these slides, are, they, these are not cheap, are they, Nev? And obviously, they have to be uh, reinstalled. <laughs> no, also,
2: the, the, the speed of inflation is fantastic. You've probably seen some of the videos of uh, crews training with them as well in, in the hangars. Uh, and, and these things do inflate really quickly, and there's an awful lot of uh psi or bar uh, of air pressure going into these things to inflate them so uh yeah they can do a bit of damage damage if you're on the wrong side of that that's for yeah. sure
1: well and i suppose presumably because i mean it looks like something went pop on that slide mm, there because yeah. it did deflate when we were watching he burst
2: the
0: video. something when he
1: reversed uh, i mean uh, <laughs> would, would you necessarily have um a, a screen just kicking yeah a, a slide just kicking around to I mean they to, to probably they have you know yeah. uh, they probably
0: do have replacements uh, slides but yeah. uh, I think it's not just a case of bunging one mm. in
1: oh, Richard Adams saying, didn't somebody say that it was something like 20k per repack ouch that's um that's an expensive hobby <laughs> ouch <Yep. laughs> good heavens yeah, yeah it's uh, it's not good is it I don't know. <laughs> um, oops is the is the word <clears throat>
0: so, moving on to the next story, and uh, Armando's got this one, yeah. and uh, this uh, is about uh, some loss parks, or oh, well, some 747 freighters.
3: Ah. Mm. Next story is regarding Atlas Air, and Atlas Air has had a pretty rough year uh, between the crash in Houston. Um, so, uh, from CargoFacts.com, Uh, Atlas Air Worldwide Holdings today reported a net loss of $410.2 million for the fourth quarter of 2019. That's partly resulting from a non-cash special charge of $485 million related to the write-down of the company's whole uh, 747-400 freighter fleet due to lower cargo yields and aircraft utilization. So Atlas posted the loss despite block hours in the fourth quarter of 2019 increasing by 1.3%. The company said uh, charter and ACMI revenue during the quarter was lower because of decreased 747-400 flying due to tariffs and trade tensions. But this was offset by growth in 737, 747, and 777 CMI cargo flying and an increase in volumes in the company's charter segment. So for 2019, overall block hours uh, for Atlas grew 8.4% compared to 2018, operating revenue increased by 2.2%, but the Atlas ended the year with a net loss of $293.1 million. Um, So during a recent conference call, the president and the CEO, John Dietrich, said the company had parked four freighter uh, 747-400s in the last couple months because of the soft demand the aircraft had previously been flying in charter service. Uh, based on flight tracking, uh, Dietrich was referring to uh, two 747-400 uh, tail number, you know, serial numbers 24833, 26557, parked at Marana, Arizona, since January 2nd, and um, in Algier, uh, and since February 2nd. There's a couple other ones that the article goes into. These aircraft could obviously be reactivated with the appropriate lead times and brought back into service, uh, according to the CEO, Dietrich. Uh, he says he doesn't anticipate parking any production 747 uh, freighters, but one of them is, re- is expected to be returned to its Lesser during um, the first half of 2020. Uh, they, Atlas also began flying one aircraft on a uh, ACMI basis for Israel-based uh, El Al on January 1st and extended the leases for two 777s for 10 more years. Um, So according to the CEO, Atlas is also selling three non-essential aircraft in its portfolio. One 757-200 has already been sold. Uh, 777 and a passenger 737-400 are expected to be sold this year. Um, The company confirmed to this website, Cargo Facts, that the 777 being offered for sale is a unit 35606, which was previously dry leased to Emirates, and then returned to Titan Aviation Holdings, which is uh, Atlas's leasing uh, arm. Um, So, Dietrich expects Atlas's performance in 2020 to be an improvement over 2019, um, subject to developments related to the coronavirus, believe it or not. To that end, Atlas has been handling special charter demand arising from the cancellation of passenger flights and ensuing uh, lack of belly capacity on a number of world trade lanes most notably to and from china of course so and atlas is anticipating a peak when production picks up and when belly capacity resumes due to a quote significant pent-up demand which favors freighters end quote he said yeah it's
0: it's a, it's, it's a, it's a busy good, world it? out there with when it comes to cargo you know, you've got yeah. so many different players in the cargo uh, world. Yeah. You know, you've got your DHLs. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you've got um, Amazon Dual Air, their mm. own kind of... Um, but I think, is it who do Amazon use, Nev? Can you remember who Amazon use for their cargo carrier? I think it's one of the big players, isn't it? It is, and I can't remember who it is. The chat room will know. But it's they'll, it's they'll an up.
2: internet question, everybody. It's an internet question. Yeah.
0: But it is a it's a busy world within the, the like I say the freight industry. It's and it's a, probably a cutthroat world. I expect because they're all trying to um, well, it's to, no different to, beat to the each aviation industry.
1: No. Either is it? I mean, it, it but I mean,
0: they have got quite a large fleet. Atlas have got uh, mm. a huge fleet of different different types of aircraft. I will say, um, but uh, just looking back at their net their net income actually in 2017
2: was um, quite bad. Looking at their yeah, the uh, chat room. Uh, both uh, Owen and uh, Tony said that uh, Amazon use Atlas. Atlas. There, there we go. Oh, what yeah. this,
1: this particular Atlas? Yes. Oh, okay.
2: Atlas. Yeah.
1: Um, that's
0: that's not good. No, but um, I don't know. It's when you look at their um, their fleet, um, their aircraft that, that Atlas use. They are they do use all Boeing uh, products actually. When you look through the fleet, right. that they've got 122 aircraft in service amount according to this actually. Um, but they do lease a lot, of, uh, quite a few, so...
1: But then a lot of airlines do that as mm-hmm. well, is it? Mm-hmm. There, There's not that many airlines that actually own their their aircraft outright, is it? My airline um, would. <laughs> oh, and Masha was saying the Atlas 1 that crashed um, was... Um, uh, the Atlas 1 that crashed was flying for Amazon. Ah, uh, okay, this, that was the 767, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. The one
0: that crashed, yeah. It's a shame, but when you hear things like this, because obviously we don't we don't, no, no, carriers, no. Aviation, general, uh, we don't want to lose any carriers, be they commercial no. or freight carriers, because that means jobs. We don't like people losing jobs. We do don't. It.
1: Anyway, uh, this is a very exciting story for you I coming know. up next. Absolutely. It uh, was, actually. Uh, yeah, this, this mainly, mainly because you had something arrive in the post. I all did. But it will become apparent in just a moment. So this yeah. uh, <laughs>
0: story is on uh, Nev's favourite font Carrying website. That's (laughs) flightglobal.com. And uh, the headline on here, it's a kind of sad but happy for me headline. Um, It's it's a happy, sad story. Happy, sad story. (laughs) And the headline Fuselage of the first airline A380 recycled into identity tags. So a German company is using recycled fuselage parts from the first airline operated A380 to create collectible identity tags following the parting out of the aircraft by Tarmac Aerosave uh, the ex-Singapore Airlines A380 uh, MSN 003 uh, 9 Victor Sierra Kilo Alpha is one of two aircraft that the airline has retired that are being broken up for spares by recycling specialist Tarmac Aerosave in Tarbes, France German's uh, aviation tag has launched a series of uh, 7000 identity tags manufactured from the outer skin of MSN 003 each of the limited edition sports type aircraft registration number edition number and size, says Aerotag. The A380 MSN003 first flew from Toulouse on the 7th of May 2006, and uh, the aircraft was delivered to Singapore International Airlines on the 12th of October 2007 it operated uh, the world's first a380 passenger service on the 25th of october flight sq380 from changi to sydney uh, singapore retired the aircraft in october 2017 and it was parted out by tarmac aerosave uh, last year so when i retur- re- well, returned home from work this evening <laughs> on my doorstep yes. was yeah, yourself was, geek session. i know was yeah. a Delivery from said company, Aerotag. So um, what number have you got? So I've got number 1,070 out of 7,000 here. And wow. it's actually, if you look, I think you can probably see, for those of you in, in the world of uh, YouTube land, how quite how thick that skin, outer skin is there of the 380. And on the back, you can't see because it's green, so it blends in with the green screen. <laughs> but uh, no, it's really well done it's also it comes with a little um, thing to put around your suitcase which i won't use because this is going on my wall at home but um,
1: that, You see, I, I don't know, part of me wants stuff like that to be used. I know, I, I would love not, to. Not stuck on a wall or put in a museum. I mean, I mean anyone I mean? who What's
0: wants to, to grab one of these um, limited edition from MSN-003, unfortunately they did sell out rather fast. I was lucky to get one. But they are recycling MSN-005 very soon and they are taking pre-orders um, for those, for the tags uh, from that. So if you take yourselves over to aviationtag.com, uh, and I also do other uh, commercial airline tags on there as well from loads of other airliners, um, including 757s, there's Vickers VC-10s from the Royal Air Force, and uh, I think they're just quite, they're, they're rather nice, I mm. think. But it is sad, though, to think that, you know, this aircraft first flew in 2007 and is barely, you know, barely done anything really is it you know yeah, it is a shame wise.
1: isn't it it is a shame what
0: do you think nev ready for a ba yeah. tag
1: <clears throat>
2: yeah it is it is sad isn't it that uh, an aircraft that's not been manufactured for very long has now been parted out um but um as we've said so many times before although the a380 will be flying you know i would imagine for at least another what 25 years probably that there aren't any more going to be manufactured and it was just the wrong aircraft at the wrong time. But, of course, aviation has this habit of going full circle, doesn't it? So who knows, in, I don't know, five years' time, suddenly the, uh, the airport capacity demand or the airline's demand might well be, again, for another uh, high-density, uh, high-passenger number aircraft such as this. But um, we'll have to see.
0: Do you think um, High-fly will snap some of these uh, second-hand ones up, Nev?
2: Might do, might they? Because obviously they're used as uh, wet leasing for mm, uh, mm. when aircraft are stuck or, or you know they've got mechanical difficulties, or whatever. So uh, yeah, their three hundred and eighty's been put into a lot of service uh, recently. So you never know. Yeah, the uh, uh, as some of the aircraft, um, sorry, as some of the airlines choose not to use it, um, you know, uh, Highfly might want to use it for charter operations or for rescue missions and like that. Mm.
0: I wonder whether Emirates will. will Snap, snap up some of these second-hand three eighties. I don't know. I guess mm. we'll have to watch this yeah. space.
2: I
1: mean, it, I suppose it, the trouble is, it is the older ones that are being retired. Yes, yes, yeah. so yeah. uh, You know, they'll already be significant air miles if you like on that <laughs> airframe. Yeah. Just um,
0: anyone I know from New though. Right, OK. Yeah. Oh, well, that's all right. Full then. service history. Right,
1: of course, yes. <laughs> Nothing goes without saying. No, I'd hate uh, to think how much a tax is for right, a year. Right, yeah, OK. We're going to move on to the anyway. next story. <laughs> News in English uh, is a Norway website, actually, and the reason for choosing this story uh, is quite quite sad, this really. Uh, commuter airline cuts 4,000 flights to Norway's domestic carrier uh, Widero. Uh, best known for serving the country's small airports with short runways, announced major cuts in passenger and cargo service on Monday. It acknowledged that crucial public transport in outlying areas would be grounded because of its high costs. We're unfortunately forced to cut completely uh, necessary public transport in District Norway. Widero's chief executive, uh, Stein Nilsson, Stated in a press release on Monday morning, he claimed that various passenger taxes and fees combined with the high cost of short routes and small aircraft left the airline struggling with profitability. The negative development has continued and grown worse over the years, uh, stated Nilsson, adding that Norway's weak kroner um, is uh, uh, the ageing aircraft and fees amounting to around 400 million NOC. Uh, over the past three years, have contributed to Woodrow's woes. Uh, we're in a desperate situation, Nielsen later told state broadcaster NRK. Uh, we know that the result of these cuts will result in services to remote areas and nowhere near what passengers need. But um, we have no choice. Uh, Subsidised service exempt. He warned of cuts uh, from early May that will reduce the airline's flights by 15%, resulting in 4,000 fewer departures a year. Um, The Evans Airport, uh, located between the northern cities of uh, Harstad and Narvik, will be hit hard with routes cut to both uh, Bodo and the Andes. Uh, So uh, will many... Uh, Widrow wrote routes to and from uh, Bodo and Tromso. Is it Trum- Tromso? Tromso. Tromso, yeah. Tromso uh, between Burden and Floro and between Oslo and Hov- uh, Hovden uh, in the mountains of southern Norway. Several direct routes between small airports and Oslo will be cut as well, including some routes between the Norwegian capital and Floro, uh, Namsos. Um, and loads of other names that I'm just going to give up trying to pronounce now because <laughs> it's getting embarrassing. Uh, the cuts won't affect routes that the state pays Widrow to operate to ensure transport uh, to remote communities. Uh, Widrow also received fee relief valued at 40 million NOC uh, from the uh, uh, from the Transport Ministry and Government. Um, I mean, it's, it's always very sad when airlines are having to cut um uh,
2: flights uh yeah i think that just just thinking about this for a minute uh norway is actually quite a large country and it is. You know, not everybody remembers that so it's roughly the size of the united kingdom but with a population of about 5.3 million people so that's about two-thirds of the size of the london population in a country the size of the United Kingdom mm. and of course they need these regional routes. Absolutely. Yeah, t- the t- weather is you know horrific in, in the winter, uh, driving is, is not an option Yeah, um, and of course you know I had a friend of mine who used to drive from one end of the country to the other and, and it used to take uh, you know the best part of two and a half days. I mean it's an enormous landmass, but of course it's very sparsely populated and I, I think I'm a bit concerned about this because this is uh, a real um, that will give people you know economic hardship I think not be able to, to to get around or at least getting back to some of the uh, larger towns and cities in the country
1: yeah I, I, and, and this is this is so as you say it's such a a crucial resource for them really I mean I I don't know are they having to cancel it because they just aren't getting the, the numbers um, Maybe yes, yeah, possible isn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, if if the planes were were full every time they left, then, you know, perhaps they wouldn't be having to make these tough decisions. So, mm. but it does beg the question: how they are, you know, how are they getting from one point to another? It's worth noting, actually, they were the launch customer for the Embraer One
0: Ninety E Two. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Um, that uh, occurred on the twenty fourth of April, mm. twenty eighteen. So. Um, yeah, but they've got, uh, I'd say, predominantly all de Havilland uh, Canada yeah. uh, Dash 8 aircraft.
1: Mm. Oh, hello. Uh, Chris Griggs has ordered himself a tag, by the way. Oh, has he? Which one's I'm he I'm not gone sure for? which one. Um, I think I'm going to assume the 757. Um, oh oh yes I th- I'm tempted to buy that one myself. Yes I think, yeah I think mm. no. I think that's what I'm in response of. Yeah I won't be buying one cuz it's got 757 <laughs> in it. There are other ones to buy yeah, honestly. What you like? Yawn. Hashtag yawn. Oh
0: so Nev moving on to <laughs> uh, to the next story and uh it's worth a few quid this one.
2: It is yeah and um it's on Flight Global and um Oh that's good. That's good for the reading uh, eye. (laughs) Um, It says that Air France's withdrawal of the Airbus A380 fleet has resulted in its parent taking a 126 million euro impairment on the aircraft type. The flag carrier disclosed last year that it would retire its A380 by 2022, just 13 years after introducing the double-decker type. Uh, Air France originally ordered 12 A380s but only took delivery of 10, having swapped the remaining pair for A350s in 2016. Nine of its 10 A380s remain operational, according to Sirium Fleet's data. Uh, The Air France KLM Group states in its newest uh, released full-year financial results that the progressive early phase-out of the A380s is likely to cost €370 million this figure it says is mainly due to accelerated depreciation of the aircraft which would normally have assumed a 20 year operational life the company has taken a 126 million pound million uh, euro charge sorry for the 2019 financial year. Impact of the change in depreciation slopes will be spread over the period through to 2022, consistent with the retirement timetable for the aircraft, it states. The difference between the initial and accelerated depreciation amounts to 52 million euros, the company says. Depreciation slopes have been revised so that the net book value, as of the date of the aircraft's phase-out, converges with the estimated resaleable value, it says. Uh, Air France KLM says that the remaining 74 million euros of the 126 million euro charge relates to other asset aspects of the A380 option, uh, particularly cabin retrofit programmes, penalties on contracts and spares. When we talk about these sort of things, you always forget about all the infrastructure, don't you? All all the other things that that go uh, with making these aircraft operational. It's not just the aircraft itself, it's all the other stuff that goes with it.
1: This is, this is the thing, isn't it? I, I mean, I, I guess, I, I suppose, you don't sort of really think about what they plan to do with it afterwards, if you like, you know, essentially, a lot of this is, the, 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 the cost, if you like, involved, is literally because nobody will want to buy it afterwards. i mean that's more or less the the long and the short of it isn't it it's like where you would normally resell it on to either a cargo carrier or 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 someone like that and because people Mm. just aren't interested because the a380 everybody seems to have fallen out of love with yeah i I
0: mean the thing of it you you think most airlines buy these aircraft Mm. and you look at airlines in the u.s like delta and americans and, and stuff especially delta you know and they're using aircraft you know getting their absolute money's worth out of aircraft before Mm. they eventually retire them yeah um and then you've got the a380 here that's barely you know 12 i know when you think
1: how old old, like the 75 is mm. you know some of those
0: are 20 plus years old that are flying now and still being used for commercial airline service um that's like nev said you know these these came a bit too late to the the table and um as we all know you know not every airport in the world is geared up to receive Mm. a380s
1: well i mean even even places like Heathrow that can essentially accept almost any aircraft there are only was it it's a handful of stands that they can use with the a380 isn't it if i recall yes and also
2: i think the i remember uh Adam saying that uh, they're restricted on what uh, what taxiways they can use yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. they, they can't just, you know, go where mm-hmm. they
1: want um, Because it's such a beast, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, this is the thing.
0: Yeah, I think Boeing, they, they kind of done well at the 7-4, I think, you know, as the uh, as the bigger aircraft kind of thing goes. So, well done. So, moving on to the next story where uh, Armando is going to take this one.
3: He is. It's a commercial story the hits just keep coming for the 737 max and boeing so the headline is boeing admits debris found inside fuel tanks of 737 max planes is unacceptable uh aircraft maker boeing has said that it's found debris contaminating the fuel tanks of several 737 max airplanes that were built in the past year the debris was discovered in an undisclosed number of airplanes and has been described as absolutely unacceptable by Boeing's head of the 737 program. So foreign object debris is a term uh, used to describe rags, tools, metal shavings, any other foreign material that's not supposed to be there, left behind by workers or during the manufacturing process. And it has been a problem for other Boeing models in the past. Uh, Boeing 737 MAX planes have been grounded since since March of last year, as we all know the company continued to manufacture the planes at a rate of 42 per month in a hope that they would be certified to fly again this summer. So, the, the company has actually built around 400 undelivered Max jets before production was halted last month. So, a statement from the FAA said it was prioritizing safety and is, quote, following a thorough, deliberate process to verify that all proposed modifications to the Boeing 737 Max meet the highest certification standards, end quote. So the planes, which were discovered to have debris inside, had not yet been delivered to the airlines. Uh, Boeing says it has immediately made corrections to its production system after the debris was found during maintenance on the parked airplanes. Uh, more inspections will now be performed before the f- uh, before fuel tanks are sealed. Um, Mark Jenks said in a memo to employees who work on the 737, During these challenging times, our customers and the flying public are counting on us to do our best work each and every day. He said the debris was absolutely unacceptable, and one escape is too many. A Boeing spokesperson says the company still believes the FAA will certify the plane to fly again in summer of 2020. The company is conducting a voluntary inspection of its undelivered MAX airplanes, and the FAA, of course, said it has increased its surveillance based on initial inspection reports and will take further action based on the findings. So Boeing is conducting test flights to assess updates on a flight control system that the MCAS that was blamed for the two crashes. So although the investigators looking into the accidents have not pointed to production problems at the assembly plant, uh, the company has faced many concerns about debris left in other finished airplanes, including the Dreamliner, which is built in South Carolina. And I will add in there the, the KC-46, the Boeing tanker, uh, was also delayed because they, they had FOD in, uh, in the aircraft and the Air Force did not accept them. Um, there's obviously a risk of, many, many risks, but electrical short-circuiting fires, uh, tools, metal shavings or other objects are left inside the airplanes. that could clog filters. It's just generally a a bad thing. Now, Boeing is getting the brunt of this, but surely this is something that would happen in many, not many, but uh, it it could happen to any manufacturer. It's just Boeing right now is being extremely careful, and this just isn't really helping them, is it?
1: I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, surely this issue is prevalent to every single aircraft manufacturer out there uh, I, I mean you know as Armando said there I mean they, they are getting the brunt of this <laughs> but you know I mean I, I reckon if you looked closely at every single you know you could look at any Airbus product for example and I dare say you'll stumble across something that was left there like a screwdriver or, a, or you know, a, a, you know a, 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 a wrench or anything you know what I mean i'm sure foreign objects is very very commonplace in in a lot of other manufacturers um i mean nev what do you reckon
2: yeah it's very unfortunate isn't it that the 737 and especially the 737 max is just in the spotlight at the moment and uh anything uh, that ends up in the press. Um, well, it, do you, so
1: so just, here's here's a slightly crazy story thought train of thought here. Do you mm-hmm. think possibly that the only reason this story even made the headlines? Uh, sorry, I should just say this was sent in by one of our listeners, James Taylor, um, in the week here. Um, do you think some of this is? clickbait you know where they're desperately trying to get advertising revenue by you clicking on a link and people are you know essentially this story is relevant to every single aircraft but because the the max is in the news so heavily and everybody seems to have a a fascination if you like with the goings-on of the max do you think that's perhaps why it even became a headline
2: it might be I not it? I mean, you you never know. You never know what goes on in in, no. in the background, but it's an easy win, isn't it? Let's face it. You know, yeah. any seven three seven max story at the moment. Um, I know I'd probably click on it. To be well, and, with and you. I did. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, and you know, so uh, it's it's one of those things that it's going to. Ta- this is going to take a long time for it to go away, and they're still talking about you know, bring it back into service probably at the end of the summer season now, yeah. rather than at the beginning. Um, so, yeah. uh, I, when it's all over and done with and the aircraft is back in the air again and properly uh, certificated yeah. by uh, the FAA and uh, EASA as well, then I think everybody would be in a much better place. But at the moment, there's mm. uh, you, you always see if it's a bit of a slow news day, someone, you know, seems to uh, drag out a, a 737 MAX stories do
1: do you do you think that i mean maybe it's because of the heightened media uh coverage if you like surrounding the max i mean um what what was the one that you you guys were saying the aircraft where it it had a similar sort of start in life where it didn't go at all smooth. The dc10 the dc10 i mean do you think perhaps if the media was as it is now back then weather, oh, you know boy. i mean i, I suspect the yeah. max will be yeah. one of the it will forever be popping up in headlines because yeah you know and
2: also things like you know the the original airbus a320 had many software and firmware yeah. revisions in, in the early days uh yeah. there, there was yeah. a a crash at uh, Absheim as well, which was well publicised. But of course, this is before the days of social media, yeah. and yes. with, with everyone chipping in. So, I would say Carlos is probably right. Actually, that if, if it was the DC-10 era today, with all this social media, it would be just the same. It wouldn't yeah. almost wouldn't matter what aircraft yeah. it was. Actually, indeed,
0: yeah. You know, that um, back in the day, that was. I mean, it was a well publicised crash. It was oh. in France, I think, wasn't there it's France. Actually, the, yeah, it was a, the cargo team. door,
2: wasn't it? Yeah, uh, it was
0: one of the cargo doors which hadn't been latched mm. properly, and you know, you know, quite rightly, if it, if it had have happened now with the, with the way things are in the world, it would have just, you know. Mm. Well, this is a it. Big, this, big this is the
1: issue, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So that is where we bring the commercial news segment uh, to an end. So we're going to hand things over uh, for Nev
2: to introduce uh, the next very special part of the show. Yes, thank you very much, Carlos. Well, this uh, is one of my favorite episodes uh, of the Captain John Hutchinson series, I have to say. So, in this week's extended episode, uh, John no. talks to Nick about uh, Concorde's radiation levels and dispels a few of those infamous rumors about the BA Concorde queue jumping whilst taxiing for takeoff at Heathrow. Uh, John also talks very candidly and quite emotionally about the French Concorde accident and the causes. Surrounding it.
4: Although your flights were delightfully short, albeit perhaps uh, as a result your remuneration wasn't quite as high as it could have been. Were there any efforts to monitor your uh, radiation levels when you were flying Concorde?
5: Yes, they were very concerned about that. The regulators, yeah, yeah, and that's what led to the fitting of a radiation meter. Oh, you had one on board. We had one on board. And it was color-coded, green zone, amber zone, and a red zone. And if it ever went into the red zone, there was a drill for it, and that was basically to descend below 48,000 feet into into thicker air, Wow! which would have incurred a massive fuel penalty mm. doing that, by the way. And as far as I am aware, I am absolutely certain. It never happened on a British Airways flight, and I'm pretty sure it never happened on an Air France flight that they ever had a radiation alert. Having said that, I was coming into Heathrow one day, and we were at 6,000 feet just south of Aldermaston, and suddenly there's this bong and a red light and the radiation alert. I think it was a leaky day at (laughs) Aldermaston. I love it. (laughs) I don't think think people living near Aldermaston would have loved it.
4: (laughs) But it's interesting, uh, considering all the MET forecasts and things that we consider, did you actually get forecasts of solar flares and that sort of thing? That might have raised the level of uh, radiation? No, we didn't. Okay. I was just curious. Brilliant. Now. personal question for me here really. Taxing out in Concord, you always seem to have priority over other traffic that was on the ground to save fuel. How did you can feel about continually queue jumping?
5: I think that's a bit of a distortion, Nick. Are you sure? No, at, at, Heath, <laughs> at Heathrow, they were very, they're wonderful air traffic controllers at Heathrow, but they're British, you know, and you don't go queue jumping. And we used to just wait in the queue for really? in the taxiway. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, cross my heart.
4: <laughs> OK, I'll take you with it. How I, I, about New I, York?
5: I'll tell you a different story about New York. Yes, there. well, I
4: can say I spent a while in the queue at New the, York. The for New sure. York
5: controllers had no such compulsions. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a holding pattern at 25,000 feet or something in this Concorde. And you can't be in a holding pattern in the Concorde. I mean, you're burning as much fuel per hour in a holding pattern as you were when you were flying at Mach 2. Oh, good and lord. Ge- and getting absolutely nowhere. Mm. Um, and so you can do maybe one turn and then you say, we're diverting. And I just said to the co-pilot, please request a diversion to Windsor Locks, which is about 60 miles northeast of Kennedy Airport. And he put in this request. And Kennedy Airport came back quick as a flash, they said, okay, turn right, do this, gave us several different frequency changes. We ended up on a discrete frequency, just us and New York, and they said, you are cleared now to turn left, establish on ILS 22 left approach Kennedy Airport. Oh, I love it. We never requested that, wouldn't have dreamt of requesting it. They had Q-jumped us. The Q jumpers.
4: Well, now I know about it, I'm going to resent it anyway. (laughs) Um, Now, uh, I know I in the Air Force occasionally dropped a supersonic boom over land.
5: Uh, Did you ever do it in Concord? Yes, we did. Um, We had a route to Bahrain, and that route was subsonic from Heathrow across Europe to Venice. We get out into the Adriatic and then accelerate up to Mach 2. Down the Adriatic, heading in a sort of southeaster direction, then turning left and going south of, um, where would we be going south of? Greece and Cyprus and all this lot. And heading east now and going straight over the Lebanon and Syria and Iraq. Supersonic
4: all the way to Bahrain. <laughs> was that because you uh, didn't expect anyone in Lebanon <laughs> to complain?
5: <laughs> I don't know how that was negotiated. <laughs> no, nothing to do with me, Gough. <laughs> I love it. Um, I guess, in a way, they had so many bombs and things going off in Lebanon. Because this was all, you know, this is these are areas at war, and a, the odd sonic boom. What the hell was that, you know? Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> now, on climbing into Concorde, this is off another interview. You once said of it, "None of this Ponty glass cockpit." Do you have strong feelings nah. about modern cockpit <laughs> design? <laughs> 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 no, 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 <laughs>
5: not really. I just. I just love saying it because I like dials and needles and things like that because that's what I've been used to all of my
4: course. life. No, I was just going to make the point that at the time it was probably one of the most advanced cockpits that were flying around. Yep, yep, yep. Excellent. Now, here's one that might create a little bit of uh, a discussion. After the Air France Concorde crash, Yep. The operating captain seemed to have made a number <laughs> of critical errors, such as taking too much fuel, um, bags, additional bags that led him uh, to be departing overweight, uh, and then accepted a tailwind. Um, what was it about the culture on that flight deck that prevented his crew from intervening? Was it something to do with the prestigious position he was in as being uh, the captain of an aircraft like Concorde?
5: Oh, dear. I I th- I think for a start the Air France Concorde fleet had a slightly gung-ho culture anyway and that is actually recorded in the in the French accident report into that crash there is somewhere in that accident report I've got a copy of it upstairs an English version of it and it does criticize this rather press on attitude of the of the air france concorde fleet um, so I think there was a sort of endemic culture that existed within air france about the operation of the airplane um as far as that particular flight was concerned, I know that that captain was considered as an absolutely ace pilot. He would windsurfed across the Atlantic. He is a fantastic skier. He was very charismatic. And my own reading of it is that the first officer and the flight engineer on that flight Had almost got the attitude. Well, if Christian Marty thinks it's okay to go, then you know who am I to question him? I don't think he's overbearing. I mean, I've I've looked through the cockpit um, voice recorder traces, and there's nothing overbearing about it. There's um, you know there's nobody. Act, the fact of the matter is, nobody questions anything. It's just you know if, if the captain's happy with it. I am happy with it, we won't question it. I am um, in a bit of trouble with 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 talking about this, by the way, because um, Pilot Magazine, the current issue, has just published an article by a chap called Pat Malone, I don't know who Pat Malone is and he is very critical of me and he ends this article by saying that the Air France flight crew were blameless, and I have no business to be criticising them. I don't enjoy criticising them at all. Sure, you're doing doing
4: what the your interpretation of what the extra report It gives report me
5: says. no pleasure at all, um, absolutely none. But how on earth, Mr. Malone, thinks that those. Flight crew members were blameless, is beyond me. The airplane was over the maximum structural takeoff weight. Over the maximum structural takeoff weight. It was beyond the aft limits of centre of gravity. It accepted a clearance with a tailwind, an eight knot tailwind. That effectively put it at something like six and a half to seven tons over the weight it should have been at. Mm. It embarked on this takeoff with the captain, I assume, well aware of the fact that his C of G was beyond the aft limits. So the transfer valve and the booster pumps were on transferring fuel along the length of the airplane from tank 11 in the tail cone up into the wing tanks. So fuel was being pumped up the length of the airplane throughout that takeoff run, effectively filling up those already full tanks and keeping them full. Um, that was completely contrary to correct procedures. That fuel transfer business is not supposed to take place during the takeoff at all. That's supposed the shut-off valves supposed to be shut and the boost pumps off. Um, so, you know, you look at all these these things and and de- depressingly, really depressingly, nobody on that flight deck is questioning that captain. The co-pilot never puts his hand up and says, "Hey, hang on a minute, skipper." We got a tailwind. I think we got to recalculate our speeds and all the rest of it. No question of sort of saying, "Well, why not go down to the other end of the runway and take off in the opposite direction?" I mean, it really was a crash that never should have happened. It's deeply depressing, and in the accident report, they blame two things: they blame a piece of metal on the runway which was indeed one of the errors in the error chain but only one of a whole series of errors in the error chain and on design weaknesses in the airplane there's nothing to do with design weaknesses in the airplane to me Concorde was about the safest airplane I've ever flown because it it was built like a proverbial brick lavatory Mm -hmm. I mean I'm serious now I mean it looks beautiful and elegant it was as tough as old boots. Um, I mean they the manufacturers had memories of the comet blowing up, three comet airliners that blew up through explosive decompressions and they were quite neurotic and about the same sort of thing happening with the Concorde so it was really over engineered very very strong aeroplane. I, I don't know I, I've, 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 I shall respond to this article in due course, when I um, when I get get around to it, but um, but how on earth it can be said that the flight crew are blameless is completely beyond mm. my comprehension. Okay. I'm sorry, they were to blame, and uh, you know I've spoken at length to two Air France Concorde pilots who would both uh, totally endorse my views about this. I, any think, question.
4: I think your best place to uh, give a, a, an accurate opinion on that. Um, how would you uh, best describe BA's decision to ground Concorde after all the modifications following the Air France ca- crash had been done? Well, I think British Airways
5: basically had no choice. Air France did not want to go on flying it. They never wanted to go on flying it after that crash. I don't know, you, you probably, I, I did not even know if it is in the book, but that Concorde that day came within 20 feet of hitting a 747 that was parked mm. by the left-hand side of the runway on a taxiway.
4: Yes, you, you mentioned that.
5: And that airplane had on board President Shurek and his wife, mm. they would come in from a state visit to Tokyo, to, to Japan and flown in from Tokyo. So that day Air France came within twenty feet of one of their Concorde's hitting one of their seven four sevens, with the President of France on board.
4: It doesn't bear thinking about, it, does it? No, it does not. But having said so that, BA had still a very successful operation with the aircraft. Yep. Yes. And they spent all that money modifying <coughs> it. Yeah, but the trouble is that Air France didn't want to go on with it,
5: and in 19, in two thousand and three, with that Iraq war, two, happening and passenger loads decreasing and suddenly Air France finding itself flying with half a dozen Concorde passengers um, they were hemorrhaging and they never wanted to go on with it anyway. Mm. They would have been very happy to have grounded it immediately after that crash and never to have it flying ever again and it was only because they were locked into this agreement with British Airways that um, all these modifications which Fine, you know, I've got no problems with the modifications that were done, but to try and sort of suggest that that was a solution to prevent such a crash ever happening again was absolute nonsense. So, when, as I say, the Iraq War II happened, they went along to see Airbus and just said, Look, we can't go on like this. Uh, What are we going to do? And Airbus just simply said, We'll hike up the product support costs of of the aeroplane to a level British Airways can't afford. Now, I suppose British Airways could have challenged Airbus's decision in court, but the fact of the matter was it was quite clear that Air France did not want to go on operating the airplane and we are not going to go on operating the airplane. And British Airways would find it very difficult to do so on their own. So um, basically I think British Airways were left with no choice. but. Uh, but to endorse the decision to ground the aeroplane, which I think was tragic. Uh, It should have been allowed to retire
4: honourably and gracefully, not sort of press-ganged into retirement. So having retired and left your fast, sleek, (laughs) droopy-nosed mistress behind, I'm glad that you found plenty to do, but a bit concerned at the number of life-threatening accidents you <laughs> seem to have had. Do you have an explanation? <laughs>
5: <laughs> I, I, it, I've, I've tried many, many times to to dispose of myself and failed on each attempt. So there we are. Fate, fate has obviously singled me out as somebody who's Single out to survive. <laughs> that's
4: very good. Yeah, and now I've visited Concord at the Intrepid uh, Museum in New York. Yep. I would describe it as little more than an awning for the cafe. Who do you think's done the best job of displaying the retired Concords
5: Ah, that's a very good question. I would have said Barbados. Uh, but sadly, the Barbados one 's closed uh, at the moment, and um, oh. it's it they just haven 't got the funding oh. so they 've got this wonderful hurricane proof hangar that it lives in right alongside the airport oh. and it 's all closed up, which is a tragedy because those team of people in Barbados who were looking after it were so proud of it, hmm. and it was of all the Concords that was probably the best kept and best looked after. It was very, very well presented. Having said that, Barbados is closed. Um, The one at Bristol, at Filton, that is at whatever they call it, Bristol um, Aerospace Museum or whatever its official title is, that is very well presented. I have been to see that. The one in Manchester is very well presented. I have been up there too, yes. Um, I haven't been to the one in Edinburgh. There's one up there. I must go up there sometime and have a look at that. Um, probably the best museum for the sort of overall Concorde experience is probably Brooklands. Because oh. they've got there a Concorde that never actually flew with British Airways. It was the it was a pre-production model, which was cut up and taken by a road to Brooklands and then rebuilt by people at Surrey University. Wow! V- as part of their sort of university course. Oh, that's a great did. idea. And there it stands in Brooklands, with all its seats and things in it, and and sort of projections of what a typical supersonic flight looked like and it is very well done and furthermore and for anybody who watches this please go to Brooklands and go and fly the simulator because that is the simulator that I used to fly in my training at Filton the simulator was removed from Filton taken to Brooklands and the idea was going to be that it would just be there as an object that pe- people could sort of walk on to and look at the simulator, this is the way they did their training. Not a bit of it, a team of geeks from British Airways from the electronic sort of side of things and, um, and, and other the hydraulics and all the rest of it got together and they got that simulator working, they fitted to it a better visual system than I ever had <laughs> when I was flying it. I love it. It was a wonder it's a wonderful visual system, and you can buy yourself a sort of half hour Concord flying experience and go flying under the uh, Brooklyn bridge or whatever else you want to do. Supersonic so, you're probably why, why, not quite supersonic I think i don 't think I have a flight envelope allowed for that. <laughs>
4: Excellent, but it's it,
5: it's really good fun. It's a it's a wonderful museum and well worth visiting. Well, um, also, there's a Concord on display in Seattle at the Museum of Flight in Seattle, and I'm very proud of the one there because it attracts more people going on board than the presidential 747 sitting next door to it.
4: That's that's what that's the museum at Boeing Field, is not it? Yeah, yeah. Lovely, lovely to have a Concord at the heart of Boeing. It's
5: lovely to have a (laughs) Concord in the heart of Boeing. Exactly,
4: (laughs) exactly. Looking back on your long and illustrious career, John, what do you tend to think of as your greatest achievement?
5: Oh, gosh, I I think it has to be having the luck to be in the right place at the right time to get on to Concord. I mean, Concord has meant so much to me and has been so much an integral part of my life. Um, I mean, I was, I'm married to Sue, but I was also married to Concord.
4: Your droopy-nosed mistress.
5: She was a very beautiful (laughs) droopy-nosed mistress. (laughs) I love it. Needle-nosed mistress as well. Oh, right. She might have a droopy nose, but it (laughs) it was a pretty sharp pointed nose.
0: I have to say, Nev, you, you must, obviously Nick was a big part as well, but you must be incredibly proud of that, the whole series so far, because honestly, I've seen seen all the episodes and stuff, and that was probably one of my favourites, I will admit, out of out so far, um, but they've all been fantastic, you must be so bloody proud of yourself, Nev, for um, putting all that together.
2: Well, yeah, uh, it's great when you've got the, the, you know, the the content to work with and such a fantastic story. And of course, you know, John's told this Concord accident story uh, in France many, many times before he uh, he does lectures on it, uh, on cruise ships and all sorts of things. But uh, I think uh, Nick managed to get a slightly different perspective mm. uh, on the way John thought about these things. Um, and John's often criticised for being too emotionally connected to the aircraft, but I think it's quite reasonable. If, if you see uh, or you believe that an operating crew has, you know, taken the thing off over the maximum structural yeah, weight yeah. uh with a tailwind of the sort that they had uh, seven tons overweight i mean the these are things you wouldn't do in a cessna 152 <laughs> let alone in, in a four engine passenger transport aircraft so um you can i you can well see why he, he's got the views he's had he has and they're not always uh, well received i have to say uh, certainly by some people uh, in the manufacturing side of things and, and some people in air France maybe too but uh, but he's, nonetheless he's, he tells a great story uh, with I believe uh, a great deal of authority and uh, he, he's, a, he's a fascinating character to listen
1: to. Isn't he? Yeah he's absolutely fascinating. I'll tell you what we were, we were just saying before that that came to an end. I didn't realise that there was a fully functioning Concorde um, oh, simulator privilege. up and running. I would love to go and visit mm. that with him. I would love to hear some of the stories that would, would come out of, of that. We'll have to We'll have to perhaps see if they'd um, they'd be open to, to something like because I think that'd be a fascinating experiment.
0: Well,
2: certainly uh, some previous Concorde crews uh, have flown the simulator uh, at Brooklands, and yeah. there's a, a couple of uh, YouTube videos online that, that actually show that as well. Uh, certainly, Mike Bannister, uh, the uh, chief pilot of Concorde, mm. the Concorde fleet, and some and the uh, flight. Uh, engineer and a first officer certainly flew it, um, and uh, but yeah, it's a great experience. And as John says, you know, it's it's nothing like that they had at Filton. Uh, the uh, the graphic system that's been designed and everything to do with it is is so much better. So, uh, but it's a great oh. experience. to say uh, Sue, Mrs. Nev uh, bought bought me a Concorde trip uh, a couple of years ago for my oh. birthday down there on the simulator. So I'd actually had a go on it as well, and it was How it was brilliant. And they do a, the nice thing is you are with uh two concord pilots as well or at least one oh, I uh, so like in, in the right hand seat so it's uh, yeah it's really, really good perhaps we need to perhaps we need to buzz
0: the, the people down there and just uh, have a little visit down there and yeah. yeah yeah
1: i'll leave that in your very charming hands yes. yeah
2: and if I'll, you want to um we'll, we'll put the link to this in the show yes. notes but uh, if you want to go to uh, brooklandsmuseum.com forward slash concord you will see uh the events that they have down there in weybridge and also how you can go about booking yourself or your loved one a flight
0: fantastic love it so moving on from that awesome part of the show we're going to move on next to uh well the next part of the show which is of course the military segment so um should we hand things over to armando
1: yeah here we go <music>
3: Jonathan Warner in a small segment of the PTUK population happy and will knock out a few military stories. This uh, first story is from aviationnews.eu and it is regarding the persistent high altitude solar aircraft. We're just going to call that the FASA. Uh, So FASA 35 has the potential to stay airborne for up to one year. Uh, The phasa has uh, a 35-meter wingspan. It is a solar electric aircraft. It has successfully completed its maiden flight. Uh, the landmark flight paves the way for this new aircraft to becoming to become a game changer in the air and space market, plugging the gap between aircraft and satellite technology. Phase 35 has been designed, built, and now flown in less than two years as part of a collaboration uh, between Prismatic and a couple other companies uh, designed to operate in the stratosphere above the weather and conventional air traffic, FASA 35 offers a persistent and affordable alternative to satellites combined with the flexibility of an aircraft, which could be used for a range of valuable applications, including forest fire detection, maritime surveillance, and of course, military applications. Uh, Sponsored by the UK's uh, Defense Science and Technology Laboratory, DSTL, and the Australian Defense Science and Technology Group, the successful flight trials, which took place at the Royal Australian Air Force Woomera test range in South Australia. The trials marked the first fully integrated flight test of the Phase 35 program, delivering rapid proof of capability from design to flight in just 20 months. They are the culmination of effects from a collaborative team of British experts from Prismatic in Hampshire, uh, where two full-size concepts aircraft were built last year, uh, working alongside engineers in Lancashire, where the aircraft underwent further integration testing prior to flight trials. Um, So the reason I put the story in there is this is incredibly important for military applications. As we saw last month with the military Gulfstream crash, um, that aircraft, its whole purpose was to provide an airborne networking uh, node, um, almost a repeater for uh, information whatever, whether that be communications, uh, data, anything like that. So uh, we have made just leaps and bounds uh, improvements and and, uh, technology advances in the unmanned arena with the MQ-9, with the Global Hawk, at least in the military world. Um, So having an airplane that can stay airborne for up to a year using solar power is incredibly beneficial it's probably rapidly deployable much more affordably deployable than a satellite system um, and you could probably deploy this to some pretty austere environments providing that information superiority that the military relies upon uh, to conduct its operations so this is uh you know there's there's been projects for years and years and years and years about uh, long endurance aircraft i remember aurora back in the day um, I remember seeing that aircraft at the Manassas Airport, um, but uh, this maiden flight of the solar-powered aircraft could, I hate to use the word, could actually revolutionize the way airborne uh, data management is handled. So I am looking forward to seeing uh, how this program proceeds and we'll see what, it, what other technology it spurs in the future
1: is it just me or i mean that 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 is blowing my mind staying airborne, airborne for a, for a year. year
0: one whole year <laughs> you know we talk about the longest passenger flight what was it 20 hours wasn't it? i think it Something was like uh, yeah, yeah a passenger yeah. commercial airline flight imagine a, a commercial airline flight of a year <laughs> i mean <laughs> you know i mean if i was
1: in first class i could probably handle it but it's just F- I fancy mean, staying aloft for a year nev <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, my only concern would be uh toilet management right um <laughs> you know how they empty the toilets at uh, right. the end of flights well okay. i can see I can see a problem there straight away. Haven't you All heard right. of blue ice right <laughs> there's, there's
1: a terrifying thought for
2: everyone, isn't
1: it Yes
0: no' it is, I can see what uh Armando saying now, for the military uh, application it would be um. Very cost effective, I think, to have something to be able to supply for I, a, I just for love
1: the fact that this is even, you know, even, uh, it's so close to actually being mm. a thing. I mean, I just find it mind-blowing. I really do.
0: So the next story, um, this one uh, for me is, is giving me reason to move to Hawaii. Um, soon I think. So this one's on the airforcetimes.com and for anyone who loves um, their vintage World War II fighter aircraft you'll love this. The headline, Vintage World War II fighter plane to fly sightseers over Hawaii. so Sightseers will soon have the opportunity to experience history while viewing Hawaii when a vintage World War II fighter aircraft begins passenger flights. A private company has modified a P-51D Mustang to allow space for the pilot and a backseat passenger beginning in March this year. The Honolulu Star Advertiser reported this uh, story on Monday and the Wings Over Pearl is expected to take passengers up in a 1944 Mustang owned by the Ericsson Aircraft Collection, uh, which participates in global air shows and operates paid flights from its hangar at Madras Airport in Oregon. A 15-minute tour of Pearl Harbor, uh, Wheeler Army Airfield and the Hawaii Fighter Strip is expected to cost, here we go, grab your wallets and your credit cards, $2,900. That's not that bad, hmm. really. It's on par with what we charge in the UK here for a flight in a Spitfire. Anyway, a 30-minute ride uh, that includes flights around Pearl Harbor, Wheeler, Hawaii, Bellows Airfield,
5: Kahuku
0: Army Airfield, and the former Naval Air Station Barber's Point is scheduled and will cost $3,000. The P-51 was regarded as one of the best fighter planes of the European theatre in the later part of World War II. First designed for the British as a medium-altitude fighter, the aircraft combined US design and Britain's Rolls-Royce V-12 Merlin engine and flew as a bomber escort. The Mustang experienced in head chopping strafing runs and long-range escort duty according to the aircraft company Boeing. It made its name for itself blasting trains, ships and enemy installations in Western Europe by devastating Axis defences before the Allied invasion of Italy, Boeing said. By the end of the war, the Mustang had destroyed 4,950 enemy aircraft in the air, uh, more than any other U.S. Army Air Force fighter in Europe, the Air Force reported. Uh, it goes a saying here that uh, there's nothing r- uh, really like it and it's such a distinctive sound. I can definitely say that, uh, said PJ O'Reilly, who helped the venture get off the ground. People are going to hear it and run outside to see it as I'm sure they will do. But I think this is a great idea.
1: Obviously, it's not cheap. No. Um, no. But, but then... I no, think
0: I, I, there's uh, definitely going to be a market for this.
1: Uh, well, and you think, I mean, you, you know, the, in the UK, I mean, there's the massive love of the Spitfire, mm, isn't there? And yeah, people yeah. are paying, you know, big sums of money to to have an experience. Yeah. I mean, and although... I mean, if, if, if I had the money, I would love to go in a Spitfire and give it a go. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's the price of a good... Second-hand used car. Uh, right.
0: Okay. <laughs> Nev. P yes. fifty-one or Spitfire. What? What? What would you rather pay? Ooh, a two and a well, half, three grand um, for
2: Spitfire. I think for me. Yeah. Um, it's uh, somebody described the Spitfire. If it's. If it looks nice, it probably flies nicely as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that That's is true. Boy, but that is, that is, but you got to
0: admit that the, the noise that the P fifty one makes on a on a oh yeah no there's no argument uh, there from good. My... absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so there we are just reading just reading for the chat room here oh they're, they're oh they're having a good old conversation in the chat room at the moment oh are they underwater chaps in the chat room at the moment
1: uh, right, uh, uh underwater Richard yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah,
0: yeah yes yes. <laughs> So moving on uh, to the next story, Nev, and... uh, uh, interesting news for C-130, lovers.
2: Yeah, it's on the airforcetimes.com and uh, it says that the uh, uh, an Air National Guard base in Nevada has proposed replacing its 25-year-old fleet of big turboprop planes that can carry troops or cargo with newer aircraft that are better for their firefighting capabilities. Uh, the Nevada Air National Guard base in Reno has proposed replacing its eight C-130H aircraft with the newer c 130J model. Uh, they've got a lot of hours on them, and uh, we have a difficult time coming up with maintenance parts at times in the supply chain," says the uh, 152nd Air Lift Wing commander. Colonel Jacob Hammonds. Uh, Multiple senators have sent a letter to Air Force Secretary Barbara Barrett, requesting the planes to help firefighting efforts throughout the Western US. Uh, The newer aircraft models provide crews with better performance and safety, Hammonds says. You're low to the ground and you're at heavy weight and you're at slow air speeds, all in a constrained environment where there is fire present, he says. Uh, Fighting fires is one of the most dangerous things that we do with these aircraft and with our air crews. For me, as a commander, it's all about increasing that safety margin. Congress approved funding for fleet replacements at two or three different air bases in its last spending bill, officials said. The Air Force expects to finalise which of the 13 air bases under construction will receive new aircraft so that's some good news and uh, yes those those firefighting uh, expeditions must be particularly challenging I, I would imagine so you want to you want the best hardware you can
0: yeah these c-130s have been about some time but they have got uh, you know a very good uh, history i should say of uh, being quite ro- a robust aircraft mm. and um just literally um, yesterday afternoon, we had an event here in the UK, not far from us. Where they had a the flyover of. Uh, oh, did they? They had a V-22 Osprey, which ah, uh, one yeah, of yeah. our one of our hosts knows and loves, and <laughs> uh, they also had what, a C-130J uh, in formation with that V-22 Osprey fly over the uh, the east east of England coast. Uh, to celebrate, obviously, um, you know, the, the, the this plane that crashed, uh, this B-17, I think it was, that crashed here in the UK during the uh, war. And, obviously, they kind of uh, commemorate the the pilots that lost their lives in this particular mm. thing. But, no, they had one of these uh, C-130Js, and it flew over our, uh, um, my, where I work, because we work at, or my, my base is on an, an old Royal Air Force base, yeah. RF Horem. And he flew literally low level, and I mean low level it was <laughs> the the noise from the aircraft was was fairly loud but it was lovely seeing these C130s fly over is uh, is something else and obviously seeing the V22 as well is good mm. but um no, it's good that they're obviously uh, continuing on with the progression and moving up the uh, the letters in the alphabet to get a newer C one hundred and thirty. But um, actually, I was lucky enough before Armando went back to the U.S. I got a tour around one of these, Did which you? is really good. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah which is fantastic. Uh, they, as you say, I mean, they're you know, I, I mean, I've always said you know that airplanes are created by by engineers you know helicopters and these made are grey ones yeah well yes it's true helicopters <laughs> made by guys at hogwarts uh the osprey i, li- I literally don't know yeah. where that thing's because it it's neither an airplane nor a helicopter i, I mean it's just crazy isn't it oh
0: see, to a bit to have the opportunity as as we did to, to go on board and and uh, look around the osprey yeah uh, it's just one heck of an aircraft to, it like, is it to is a st- up close st- and personal. Stunning, stunning bit of kid isn't yeah. it yeah
1: yeah um Well, that is uh, where we uh, have to start bringing the show to a close. We are done and dusted, gentlemen. Well done, everyone. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can do that by several means. Uh, Search us on social media. That's things like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And our hashtag or or our tag, if you like, on there is plain talking uk all as one word just search for plain talking uk our whatsapp number plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one six six i assume it hasn't gone off during the show today no no but no but actually oh just, i I'll
0: just got a quick mention actually because oh, we, oh, yeah, okay, we yeah because we did get um we have had a few uh, messages come in have you yeah from uh airstig oh yes yeah, uh yeah, airstig's yeah. quite a big uh, user of the PTUK uh, WhatsApp number, yes. whatsapp number so yeah. hello to you uh airstig uh we've also had a nice nice message as well uh big thanks to alex uh alex robinson Ah, uh, sent me a very nice message uh through there as well um about my grandfather so thanks for that alex appreciate that very much indeed uh and uh, yeah so uh you know if you want to send us a a message through the whatsapp uh, PTK whatsapp number please do yeah and just think if you send us a picture Mm. matt will put it I will, oh, oh, I'll put
1: it on the green screen. I understand. Yeah. Uh, that number again, plus 44, four, if you're outside of the UK, or if you're in the UK, it's just zero. 757. That's plus 44757 2249166 Email address podcast at plaintalkinguk.com Website www.plaintalkinguk.com You can buy some amazing t-shirts on there or you can use the contact form and get in touch with us via there. Uh, Why not subscribe to our YouTube channel? You'll get notifications when we go live and uh, you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in our wonderful chat room. Uh, Go to www.youtube.com and search for talking UK uh, on our website we do have an Amazon link if you do your shopping basically by clicking on that link from our website then do your Amazon shopping uh, as you do in the normal way we actually get like an advertisers referral free uh, fee um, and so you can contribute to the show without actually having to physically put your hand in the pocket and any money that we get from that we can then use uh, in the form of Amazon vouchers to buy leads and cables and things like that uh, or let's not forget patreon which is uh, uh, a wonderful service and we are very lucky that we have some amazing people we do who use that on a regular basis uh, search patreon um, so it's Patreon p a uh, t r e o n r e o n dot com. Sorry, I did get it right. Uh, <laughs> did, Patreon dot yeah, yeah. com, and then search for Plain Talking UK, uh, and then you can uh, donate to the show via there. Uh, PayPal also. Uh, again, look at the links on our website I- in order to do that. I-, I think that's. I think that's the housekeeping all done.
0: I know. Yeah. Just think if you <laughs> if you could see in the studio here where me and Matt are, where all these yeah. various cables and leads and stuff are all, and cameras and bits and pieces. Yeah. Just think that, that you know that this is all. Um, all been
1: paid for by, by, by our
0: lovely Patreon people and, and PayPal stuff centers, and PayPal donors so, yeah. uh, Nev's
1: studio behind him however uh, no Patreon budget could, could, could ever cope uh, with uh, demands yeah, of I'll, that I'll, nature I've probably gone a bit over the top do you then. think too, yeah, too many already, uh, isn't there? just out of interest <laughs> is that the latest Denzel Washington again. film <laughs> you're editing behind you is <laughs> again. Again. Yes, he's
2: there isn't he in, yeah, in, still in, working. in the corner there that's right yes we'll
1: pass that to our producer who I dare say who can doctor that and and, uh, put something
2: else. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm worried that he might want an appearance fee. Good. Okay. There is that well, Nev, yeah.
0: Nev, <laughs> Nev, <laughs> Nev, can you just bring that fader down behind you again? That's um, yeah. Oh, sorry. A bit, yeah. It a me. Bit, home. Bit, oh. bit
1: peaky, mate. Sorry. Yeah. A bit peaky. There we go. Lovely. Excellent. Excellent. Thank, Job thank you. Well done. Uh, and the last <laughs> thing it says in the show notes here is uh, have a wonderful show. Oh,
0: really? So, but so what, what are you doing this week anyway, Matt? <laughs> I don't know. Before we go,
1: uh, I'm I'm back to I'm back to driving this week is it this yeah. week you're back you know I mean? yeah yeah no they're only off for a week this week the kids is it no. basically it's been half term this week so matt's um, been doing nothing so no <laughs> oh, nothing i wish <laughs> blooming it I look genuinely if you look at my hat like that are absolutely hands. <laughs> ruined by all the cleaning that we've been doing this week. Oh. uh all the vehicles have had a have a very, you'd be very proud of me i was tea cutting and polishing and goodness knows what else all poor ken bless him uh <laughs> hello ken it's, i know but poor ken bless him he's just he's been polishing one of our vehicles for one of the vehicles is going for mot and we like to sort of um company polish you like that's one of the great things about lorraine is when that vehicle is presented for mot that thing is like it was just left the factory um the only downside to that is there's lots of compounding and tea cutting <laughs> and polishing and god knows what else so it's just like yeah it's 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 uh, amazing but uh, yeah i'll be i'll be glad to be Back behind the wheel doing a bit of driving this week, I think, really. Uh, We had fun on Tuesday, though, didn't
2: we, Nev? Oh, yes. Uh, We went all the way to Ipswich. Yes, Um, absolutely. Uh, You were there for work, I should stress. You didn't
1: voluntarily go to
2: Ipswich. (laughs) We had a good chat. We did. Yeah, it was a very nice evening as well, and uh, that that was brilliant. Uh, Next week, I am back in a similar area, because I'm off to Cambridge uh, on Monday night to... Do some filming with those very nice fellows at the A320 podcast. Um, So I'm doing that on Tuesday at the simulator uh, at Cambridge Airport. So if anyone is around uh, the Holiday Inn Express in Cambridge on Monday night and fancies a beer or two, uh, then please drop me a note. But uh, I do realise that might be a bit of a long slog for some people. But if you happen to be in the East Anglia area and you fancy meeting up, I will be around on Monday night in well, Cambridge. there we
1: are. There we go. That's, uh, that's the, we'll perhaps have a chat after the show, Nev. You never know, I might come and visit you in Cambridge. Mm, yeah. Please do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Uh, right, uh, the,
0: so, Carlos, what are you up to this week? Where are you going? Anywhere exotic? Well, on Monday, uh, as Nev is heading this way, I'll be heading nev's way oh dear. so i'll be waving at him on the as you pass each other on the 14 or something i'm, I'm yeah. heading out to the lovely place that is banbury on monday Ooh. and uh, and then on wednesday just for a laugh i'm going to go to
1: london are you oh it's fun there you should you you'll enjoy in that, a lorry yeah. oh you'll really enjoy mm-hmm. that yeah which absolutely. will be fun i'm really looking yeah.
0: forward to that so Stuart, Good. if you're watching the show because i know you do I might get one of the other drivers to do that run anyway. Oh dear, um, that's how. And uh, apart from that, Talk um, about throwing his weight around. I know. Like, I know. Well, that is my oh. is the my oh, job title
1: sorry. manager. Manager. It? right? Um, <laughs> yes, but I, I'm I'm always a believer that any manager should you know lead by example.
0: Oh, I do. I washed. Do you know what? Uh, let me just say <laughs> oh, this. Matt's been go. cleaning his here coaches here, today. Here, here I I cleaned not one vehicle, not two vehicles, but. three vehicles right. today whilst okay. I was at work. Well, wow. slow day was it? Well, it's, <laughs> been, it's been a bit of a busy day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, next week and the following week. I'm off. I'm actually got a week off, mm. so I'm going to be doing some nothing at home. Lovely, I say. But uh, next well, week, next week, I'm what's not happening? Here. I'm not here.
1: Matt's not here next no. week. No, I'm, I'm going to Glasgow glasgow yeah absolutely Ooh, yeah, nice. to glasgow, So if bit of plane spotting yeah uh, probably i'll probably get made to do that if uh, yeah so if anybody is uh in sort of the glasgow central area do feel free to ping me an email matt at plane talking that's matt at as two t's i should straight matt at yeah matt at play that's a lot of uh do feel free uh to if you're in the Glasgow area glasgow central <laughs> um then do uh do let me know. Uh, that's it. Uh, that's where we have to bring the show to a close. So Carlos. we're
0: going to say a massive thanks to everyone in the chat room, as always, tonight for wow, joining us. It's been us. a really busy chat. Really good good tonight, chat room Really it? good chat room tonight. They've yeah. been having a damn good conversation between each other in yeah, there. Absolutely. So big thanks. Well, that.
1: much much better doing that than listening to us.
0: So from <laughs> me, Carlos and Matt here in the PTUK studios, and from Nev at NevTech Studios, have a great weekend. Enjoy your Sunday roasts and.
1: Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. See you later.